0: Welcome into the Housing Hour. This is Kevin Ray. I am your host. I'm here with an executive producer, Mark Griffith, and he's also our co-host. We want to thank you guys for coming in today and uh, joining us for the Housing Hour. We're very excited about our show today because we're going to look back at an interview that we did as we um, lead into uh, the MIG Charity Classic, the Bobby Dent Charity Classic that's going to be occurring in September and the beneficiary of that tournament is St. Jude, Reco- Jude Children's Research Hospital. Now, for those of you who don't know, um, we decided back in probably, I guess, January to um, have a golf tournament to commemorate our 25 years. Um, MIG is celebrating our 25th year in Tennessee in, in business, and we wanted to really do something big to give back to Um, our community that has really helped us and been loyal to us and allowed us to help them over these last 25 years. And, you know, we tried to find something that was going to touch the entire state, the entire country, and the entire world. And St. Jude fit the bill perfectly for that. Um, St. Jude, as you all know, is a children's research hospital, and they are very unique. And it was really just like a, a fit, a perfect fit for us. Um, And no child, no patient family has to pay not a dime to go get their treatment there for for children who do have cancer and the families who are trying to deal with this devastating news. Um, St. Jude depends on people and companies like us to help support their hospital. So the fact that it costs about $2 million per day to run this hospital means that they have to look... To the community to get a lot of the funding and they're on the forefront of research they they share their research with any children's hospital any other hospital in the world because they feel it's so important and their mission is that no child should die in the dawn of life uh, of their life and that's what some 60 years ago danny thomas when he gave that money at, at that morning mass that was literally all of the money that he had left that he was he said if you'll help me i will do something huge for children i mean it's really a great organization and and i know that you um, mark haven't had an opportunity to go out to the hospital but i mean you've seen what they do just in the stories that i've shared and that you've seen as well
1: and on every saturday morning typically where i've seen it uh, saint judah's always had a tv you know run in the kind of a Early morning on Saturdays, mm-hmm. I've seen it, um, and it's always touched me. And, and yeah. of course, having kids, it's always special to your heart. You want to get involved, and what's really cool about St. Jude
0: is the average donation from folks is less than thirty dollars, I yeah, believe. That's right. That means a lot of people are giving. And you, and how much per day? One point nine million dollars per day. So they fund this through private donations, mm-hmm. and uh, at, at
1: less than thirty dollars per day. And in any given month of the year, there's always someone across the state doing some uh, right, uh, you know, donation program, whether absolutely. it's a golf tournament, bowling, or I mm-hmm. don't know what they do. But they a do lot, a lot
0: and runs, runs. They do all kinds of different things, and and you're absolutely right. The the donations they just They just add up and it makes it one large uh, organization. And so this tournament that that we decided to do is in honor of um, Bobby Denton because Bobby was going to be our host. And of course, Bobby passed away. and, And so... Um, Working with his family, we've uh, decided that instead of obviously him being a host, we're going to call the name of the tournament, the MIG Bobby Denton Charity Classic, benefiting St. Jude. And his family has just been very, very um, good to work with. And uh, Ron Morton, his nephew, has helped us. And the team of people that's on the legacy board for the Bobby Denton uh, Legacy Board has come um, and became part of our team for the tournament. And what we're going to do here for the next two segments, we did some interviews with really the real life people that this touches—the people who are the beneficiaries of all of the money that is given, the people who have children. We're gonna we're gonna hear from um, Vivian Law, who Laws, who is one of the patients from St. Jude, about lost her leg and she had she had cancer in her leg, and she's going to tell you her story. And then we also have Jeff and Mandy Moody as well who have a daughter who had retina blastoma, I believe is what it is, and you'll hear their story. It's a heart-wrenching story. But it ends up that they had help, and that was through St. Jude. So I want you guys to enjoy the next two segments. Listen to these stories, and we'd love for you to participate. You can go to CharityClassic.com. learn more about how you can help. So so sit back, get your cup of coffee, listen to these amazing stories, And then we'll see you back on the back end of this uh, show. Thank you guys so much. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what is really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray appreciate you guys stopping in and uh, maybe take an hour out of your time to listen to what we feel is a very important and valuable show that we're going to uh, present to you today. We're talking today um, to two different sets of people, and um, Vivian's just one person, but Vivian um, Laws, and we'll have her um, here in the next segment. And then we also, which we're going to start with, Jeff uh, Moody and Mandy Moody. And their uh, daughter, Leela, was diagnosed with um, retinoblastoma back in 2012. April 5th is the day that they found this out, which set off a course of events that no parent um, would ever want to have happen. You'd never dream in a million years that you would be faced with. But I want to talk with Jeff and and Mandy here and talk about their experience and, and what all of the different steps and what happened and how this all culminated to what today we have a very healthy um, young girl. Um, and how old is uh, Lila? Le- First of all, welcome. Thank you for coming in. How, how old is Leela now? She's two. She's two. Mm-hmm. Awesome. That is so fantastic. And, and she's healthy. And, yes. And you guys are going every six weeks. And, yes. And so why don't we start back at the beginning? Um, and I'm sorry I'm doing so much talking, but I want to set it up. Um, I heard an interview that you did, Jeff, and it was um, sometime in the last year or so. And you talked about... Um, how in 2007, you had an experience that possibly was planted in your head for a reason. Talk about that.
1: In uh, 2007, I happened to be watching the NBA playoffs that night. Normally not uh, something I watch, but that night I just happened to turn the television on. And uh, there was a lot of discussion about Derek Fisher, who uh, was playing for the Jazz at the time, and they were playing in Los Angeles. And in the playoffs and he was going to be late and may not even make it to the game. And uh, he came at halftime, ended up having a great game. Uh, and then after the, um, after the game, he had an, a lengthy press conference where he was talking about his daughter and his daughter's cancer and that she was in New York being treated. And um, so five years later in 2012, when Mandy asks me if I see something in Leela's eye I don't think it's nothing, or I don't, and I don't think, oh no, this is something serious. The first two words to my mind were Derek Fisher. Mm -hmm. And then for some reason, I mean, that I just thought about that and remembered him speaking about his daughter's cancer. And so I went uh, on the internet and found out that she too had retinoblastoma. Mm -hmm. And that's what began the, the, our journey
0: hmm. and and what's amazing to me of course um a public figure you know a lot of attention was paid to it and you know they talked about it being a very rare disease or cancer which it is um and when you when you came to him you know mandy um and you said hey i see something here and and, and you as a mother you know were just very is so clear to you it spoke to, you know you knew there was something wrong and normally the the fathers kind of reaction is, well, there's an explanation, you know, there's always an explanation, but you really felt something, didn't you?
2: Right. Well, retinoblastoma, it shows up as like a glow Mm. in her eye. And I just want to explain that. So when you take a picture of somebody, sometimes their eyes, you know, are yellow, they look like Mm. they glow, but it was in normal light. Like it wasn't a picture. I just happened to be getting her out of her car seat and I saw her six, eye glowing, six-week-old six mm. baby. And so I put her in the same place when Jeff came home from work and was like, do you see this? Because he's my voice of reason. Okay, this is nothing. Or maybe we should talk to the doctor about it next time you go. You mm-hmm. know, I thought I was kind of hoping he would not think it was a right. big deal. Right. But then immediately he thought, Derek Fisher, and mm. we Googled it, which, you know, right. you're not supposed to do. <laughs> so,
0: So when that happened— your all's thoughts were, well, thankfully, you had a family member that was pediatrician or going to school to be one Your cousin, and so you made a call to her, correct?
1: Yes, yeah, she had just finished her residency in pediatrics at UAB in Alabama, and mm. I called her and said, I'm a little nervous. I sent her the—we were able to take a good picture, and I sent her the picture, and she told me uh, very honestly that there was really— not a lot our pediatrician was going to be able to do that. The type of test that she needed could only be done by a pediatric ophthalmologist, and so her words to me, which I, I think I'll we'll remember forever, were, "Don't worry, but don't wait."
0: Yeah, that's something I wrote down. Mm-hmm.
1: And so uh, the next morning, we called the pediatrician because we knew we needed to get a referral, and um, we were going. We were scheduled for, an, and then and this was Good Friday, and we were scheduled for an appointment at ten a.m. and then. Um, I just wasn't comfortable and I knew that we needed something I was worried that we would end up waiting the weekend to see the pediatric ophthalmologist so mm. I cold called yeah. the first one in the uh, first one on on the internet who happened to be Dr. Gitchlag over at Children's yeah. and his receptionist just said please come in we will figure everything out on the back end you just you guys need to get in to see the doctor
0: today. So I mean obviously at this point And I think you mentioned in the interview that I heard, um, there was something stirring in you guys. And, and, you know, you kind of almost felt like there's something more here. This is not just she bumped her head or it was, so you kind of felt there was something happening. And, and for you to just go and get that doctor and for them to take you without a referral, I think it's pretty amazing. Yeah. And I think you mentioned that the receptionist said, well, we'll work out all the insurance details on the back end." Mm-hmm. And, but what emotionally are you guys going through? I mean, at this point you don't know, but at the same time, I'm sure. There's a lot of uncertainty. Manny, what were you thinking? I,
2: my personality is I'm not going to go there until right. I have to go there. Hmm. And, and so I was just doing the mom thing. Like, what do we need to do what are the steps where do i go how can i get answers right jeff definitely knew instantly that it was i mean he really thought it was cancer right away right. and um yeah. so he went to, he was already kind of grieving the fact that we were about to walk down that road mm-hmm. where i was more let me just find out first
0: so you guys go see dr gitschlag right mm-hmm. and they do the ct scan right and once the ct scan is is done um, he says it's it's there's something there but then he had a, a suggestion which which you guys put into place with the University of Tennessee
1: right he and he said if it it didn't look like other retinoblastomas he had seen and mm-hmm. so but he wanted a second opinion and so he called uh, Dr Mcmillan who is a retina specialist at UT medicine and asked that to, for him to see us and so on that Monday we went to see Dr Mcmillan who uh, did another exam of Leela's eye and said I'm I, I need to put her under anesthesia to get mm-hmm. a really good look at what's going on. Clearly, the retina's is detached. It could be any number. Uh, a one of two things. One is Coates disease, which is uh, a different uh, diagnosis, and then the other is retinoblastoma. Mm-hmm. And that, uh, even from Dr. Gitchelag Getchulag and Dr. McMillan, that's when we had already begun to hear, if it's cancer, you guys are heading to see Dr. Wilson at St. Jude.
0: So, I wanted to step back a moment because I think it's important to to point out that you guys had only been here about a year. Right. Not even. Not even. We
1: had had just moved in August to Knoxville.
0: But you guys had plugged in with a small group at church. And, you know, if I could encourage anybody to get in a small group, it's this is one of the reasons, because you wanted to be there. And and it was hard because you you took the first wave and went, and you stayed back with the kids, right, initially for the CT scan part? Right. But you had somebody come to your aid.
1: Right. Yeah, that that Friday morning, I— Mandy took Leela to see Dr. Gitchlag, and mm-hmm. the CT scan wasn't happening until that afternoon. So okay. I called one of the friends from our small group and mm-hmm. said, Hey, can you please come and, and keep our older And she kids. happened to be off that day. Yeah, she was off that day, right. which was wonderful. And yeah. uh, so she came and kept our older two kids, and yeah. I was able to be there for the CT
0: scan. So, so Children's Hospital, <laughs> which you spoke very highly of, and I do too. They do an amazing job. Yeah. Um, he went out of his way. He spent like all day, almost really working on this got a hold of dr mcmillan he then says he's a retina specialist he has i guess different types of techniques and knows you know more specifics so he brought you guys right over right and said what you just mentioned which is you know this could be this it could be that but we need to do more examinations we need to 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 put her under anesthesia Mm -hmm. and be able to really get in there and scope it out and that was going to happen pretty quickly right
1: Right, uh, that was so. If we we saw it on April fifth, a Thursday, that Tuesday morning, she went under anesthesia, and we got the preliminary diagnosis of a mm-hmm. retinoblastoma.
0: When that happens in Knoxville, I mean, there's if the child, if the child, a lot of times they're going to refer them to St. Jude. So when you then heard that news, what exactly can you describe how you felt, Mandy? I mean, when you when you heard that.
2: When he said she has written a Blastella, I mean, it just takes your breath away. Like you're, you have a, I mean, one, I'm postpartum, you know, I have a six week old baby, so I'm already crazy emotional. Mm. And, um, (laughs) (laughs) you know, (laughs) (laughs) I have (laughs) to, you understand. Um, and then you tell me that we're about to walk down a really unknown world. You know, we don't, we don't know what we're about to see, Mm -hmm. um,
0: well, and I, I mean, it, it, the unknown is what would, yeah. I think for most people, it's that there's so much to you know do in, ahead of us, and the road, you just don't have any idea of what's going to happen. And I hear, heard throughout your whole interview the faith that you fell back on mm-hmm. so many times. And so here you're headed to St. Jude. You've went through this last 72 hours or whatever of just 900 miles per hour, and you know, you had your faith to fall back on. So, So, Jeff, when you guys... Get that word that you had to go to St. Jude. What are you thinking as a father?
1: I. That's a good question. I, I'm not. I think it just confirmed what I'd already been feeling up until that point when I felt like God had sort of led me to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at that moment, where um, Mandy up until that point had been really, what are the next steps? And I had grieved up until that point. I think it sort of shifted mm-hmm. and I be, took on the mode of. What are the next steps we need to take? And we didn't know much about St. Jude other than we had heard of it, mm-hmm. and we knew that they did uh, research for uh, children's um, children's cancer, and we that that was the extent of our knowledge. Um, so Mandy is is grappling with the fact that this is cancer, and I'm beginning to walk through the process of what does this mean. I'm right. in my second semester of a PhD program. I'm teaching classes at UT and you know, we will go to the ends of the earth if we have to to, right. to get whatever uh, treatment for our daughter that we need, um, and we would pay whatever we needed to, and that meant for the rest of our lives right. to save our daughter's life, then of course we would do that. But the, the real questions of how— all, I, I begin to ask those real questions of how is all of this going to work, mm-hmm. um, and the sort of fear that's associated not only with— um, what what's gonna happen to us as far as our life you know are we about to get completely uprooted? but what's gonna happen with our daughter you know, mm-hmm. what is she looking for um uh, in in the future you know mm-hmm. is this something that is life threatening is this something that she could she be blind could she be um is this something she's going to have to face for the rest of her life?
0: Yeah. And those are all questions that no parent should ever have to ask. And, you know, I told you that this time was going to go by so fast. So I'm going to just skip forward a little bit. Um, essentially, for uh, our listeners, the question that you said, you know, I'll, or that you, the statement, I'll go into debt, you know, forever if I have to. And that's one thing that we need to know as uh, Americans and as Knoxvilleans and Tennesseans is that St. Jude families do not pay not $1. They, they send it to the insurance, whatever the insurance doesn't pay, St. Jude picks up the bill. And that means flying you to travel. If you need to go to the Memphis Grizzly house that you spoke about mm-hmm. when your initial visit, that's all taken care of. If you have a longer than three month then the target corporation has a, a stay for you in the apartment type homes. And so I heard come across from you, Um, Your passion. And and I want to talk about what happened when you got to St. Jude. And basically, um, let me just summarize so we can get to the heart of it. And that is that you guys went under some more tests, more tests, and God's hand was all around it because you were able to go through the um, anesthesia and be able to do two um, scans, the MRI and also the NAU or EUA. uh, EUA. (laughs) And so the confirmation was there. Dr. Wilson had what? is it a he or she, he. he needed to say, definitely that's what we have. And guess what also? He didn't parse his words. He said, we're going to need to remove this eye. That's that's what we recommend. We, rec- we Certainly you can get a second opinion, but what in the world? I mean, when they told you all that, there has to be so many emotions that went through that. Start with you, Jeff.
1: I, I think at that point I was ready to do whatever we needed to do to save her life. And if that meant... Her eye uh, needed to; they needed to remove her eye. Then that was okay. And from what they told us at the time is, they they could remove her eye and hopefully remove all of the, all of the cancer with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, from from me, that was where my mind went: was let's do whatever we can to treat her the best way that we can. And and, mm-hmm. and it, but at the same time, the sort of real grieving of. My daughter is going to lose an eye Hmm. Um, and here she is and she's six weeks old.
0: And Mandy, I mean, as a mother, you look into your child's eyes and you you have this heart-wrenching thing in front of you. How do you feel during all this?
2: I definitely didn't go to the, okay, (laughs) You know, this is fine. (laughs) I mean, especially as a girl, I mean, we want to feel beautiful and I couldn't envision how beautiful can look without an eye and I really struggled with she's going to be a teenager and people are going to make fun of her and those Mm. are just real things that you deal with and um, we sat down I guess the night that night after and he just Jeff just said you know that if we remove her eye we remove the cancer and it's like that had not clicked with me like okay you know Mm. that's that's right you know the Lord will be faithful we will remove the eye and she will no longer have cancer.
0: Yeah, and he, uh, Dr. Wilson, which I think is very good of him, said, look, you know, second opinion certainly, and they may have a different treatment option, um, but you guys chose because this is the way I looked at it when I listened to your when I listened to your interview. And we only have a couple minutes left, so I want to get to a couple of other things. But you guys said, you know what, God has put us in this hospital through all these things that have happened and these folks are here for our best interest. We're at the best hospital in the world for this, and they're saying this is what needs to be done. We don't want to wait for another opinion, and you made the decision. So if you could describe that kind of quickly, because I don't have a lot of time, but tell me how that all came about.
1: Sure. I mean, as people of faith, we have to ask the real question. We know and believe that God can heal her, um, and that takes a step of faith. But for us, the step of faith was we need to trust that God has put us here at this time for this reason under the care of St. Jude and these doctors, and we need to mm-hmm. believe that uh, this was this was his plan. And that was a, a hard step for us to take, but one we knew that God was, was leading us to.
0: And not that there's—the surgery happened. The surgery went out, out flawless. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the doctor came—and I only have one minute, so I'll explain it— um, the doctor came back to you and said, you know, guess what? You know, in the end result, when we did r- remove the eye, it appears that the tumor had been bleeding. Any treatment would have been a real mess. I think he used a different term. Right. But it, it, it concreted for you that you had made the right choice, and St. Jude was, in fact, right. And a second opinion would have taken you down a journey maybe that you didn't really want to go. Sure. So." Well, and I want to tell you guys, we're gonna have um, we're gonna have uh, Mandy come and do a a talk with us later this month um, at Cherokee. We're raising money for our tournament, and we're so excited about that. But Jeff and Mandy Moody, thank you guys for sharing your story with us, and I look forward to a new relationship, a friendship with you guys. So thanks so much, and we'll be right back in a moment with Vivian Laws right after these messages. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what is really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. Welcome back into the Housing Hour. I am Kevin Ray. I'm your host here at the Housing Hour. The show is brought to you by Mortgage Investors Group. And uh, what an amazing conversation that we had there with uh, Jeff and Mandy. It was um, so great to catch up with them and learn more about them. And I did want to mention that because it was something that I, I did not have time to get to, but um, Leela ended up having a, a, a prosthetic eye put in. Is that the right word for it? Okay. And, and you can't even tell. When you look um, at a picture or, or into her eye, you, you cannot tell. They did such an amazing job at St. Jude. So I did want to mention that. Um, and we look forward to a long relationship, um, with the Moody's. And so we have our next guest here. So our next guest is Vivian, Vivian Laws. She was 13 when she was diagnosed, um, with cancer and, um, the, uh, Courtney, I have to give her credit here cause she is our, our kind of our, um, our liaison, if you will to St. Jude and, and she did a great job, um, introducing me to these folks and, um, you know, teaching me the lingo, I guess you could say. And and she's just done, a, she's helped us a lot in our committee to um, really kind of get to where we are. And Vivian was one of the people, and I cannot remember exactly the first time I heard her story, but um, I heard it recently because it, the St. Jude did a video and it was put up and um, I immediately put it up on our site, which um, is migcharityclassic.com. If you want to go to it, we'll have it on the housinghour.com as well. Um, But Vivian's story, for me, it was very powerful because it was somebody that I could see the tape play all the way through. You could see her being diagnosed. You could see her going through that struggle. You could see her coming out the other side and then what she's doing today with it. That's what amazed me about Vivian's story. So Vivian, thank you for joining us.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. And, um, you know, let's start really with talking about how this all came about. Um, And you're now... um, passionate about giving back to St. Jude. So telling your story is one of the ways. It's probably the single most powerful way that you can give back. But you were 13, and you were a cheerleader. Talk about what happened so that you discovered this, and and just talk a little bit about that.
3: When I was in the seventh grade, I was just in middle school, and I was a base on my cheer squad. Um, It was two weeks before my 13th birthday when I started to feel a dull, throbbing pain in my knee. Hmm. And I just thought that it was a cheerleading injury. Mm. And so I would take it easy at practice. I wouldn't stretch as much. I wouldn't lift the girls on my knee anymore, which was horrible because it was my favorite part of practice, my sure. favorite part of cheer. And it was more difficult throughout the weeks to walk to classes in school. And I was so concerned that I wasn't going to be able to cheer at all in our in our next competition. So... I looked at my leg one night just to reach down and rub it because it was aching, and I felt a large lump next to my kneecap, and it wasn't even there that morning, so oh, wow. I was shocked to feel that that lump on and that my may, leg.
0: That probably would have contributed to my thought, well, maybe this is an injury, but I don't remember an injury.
3: Right. I don't remember any specific time injuring my leg or any or any certain time where I Bell on my leg or mm. anything. So when I felt this lump, I knew that, that there was something there that was not supposed to be there.
0: So you went to your parents?
3: I immediately showed it to my parents. Mm. And I think that in the back of their mind, they thought it could be something more than just a sprain or a cheer injury. But to me, that never occurred.
0: Well, it's amazing because the Moody's said that too. It's something that our parents have innate in them that oh, my baby girl, there's something else going on here. Absolutely. So you guys went to the doctor. You went to Children's?
3: No, I actually live in Memphis, Tennessee. Okay. So I went to just my my regular family physician. Mm-hmm. And I remember going there like it was yesterday because it was homecoming week oh. and it was crazy hair day, ironically. Oh, wow. So I was dressed up as Wendy from the fast food restaurant oh. and I had my hair sprayed red and fixed up in pipe cleaner and braids. Wow. And I remember the doctor just really wanted to play with my hair yeah. and was more concerned with that than <laughs> looking at my X rays. Right. But I still remember the fear that I felt when I was sitting on the exam table after the technicians went to look at my X-ray and hearing one of them say, Oh my God. And then hearing the other one say, Oh my God. Mm. And thinking to myself, I think those
0: are the two things you don't say as technicians. Well, (laughs) you
3: probably shouldn't say with an earshot of your patient. Right. But I remember thinking and convincing myself that can't possibly be about me. Mm -hmm. They're talking about someone else. Right. And I think that,
0: that just as humans, we want to, you know, be positive and think this could not be the worst case scenario. Of course. Right?
3: I was so ready to be there for myself mm. and convince myself of anything other than cancer. Right.
0: So the doctor did the x-ray and he came and talked to you and your parents. Yes. And what did he say?
3: Well, he sat there and he said, there is something in your leg that's not supposed to be there. hmm and i'm thinking duh there's something wrong with my leg so i'm sitting on the exam table and he lists off a thing he lists off maybe 20 things that could be wrong with my leg and among those things he said a tumor hmm. and i stopped him when he said a tumor and i said you mean tumor as in cancer and he said yes but that's so very rare and hmm. you're so young so oh, so wow. please don't worry about that you have wow. no need to worry about that. Right. So that kind of Which
0: is an honest answer on I mean, if you look at the percentage of people who so
3: Honestly. Yeah. And I I sat there and I I wasn't as worried as I was and I left that day feeling confident that they were going to figure out what my cheer injury was specifically, mm-hmm. maybe a stress fracture is what I was leaning towards. Was that towards. one of the 20 things? Yes. Oh, okay. A stress fracture? Or just a sprain or a cyst. Mm-hmm. They were they were talking a lot of that could be a cyst on my bone. What
0: were the next steps to determine what it really was?
3: They wanted to get another opinion mm-hmm. and they wanted to get another scan. So I went that next day, and I saw a doctor who was supposed to an ortho an um, orthopedic doctor who was just supposed to view my X ray. Mm-hmm. And so I went there, and he said we would just get you an MRI which is what you, what we really want you to have. But there are so many people in Memphis who need MRIs and so few MRI machines hmm. that that's going to be nearly impossible to do anytime soon. Hmm. Then he left the room soon after because my x-ray had been faxed to him. Mm-hmm. And he nearly ran back in the room after seeing it and said, there's an opening for an MRI in 10 minutes. If you can make it there, then we'll see you.
0: So he probably maybe saw something that, that led him to believe it wasn't an injury or a stress fracture or a cyst, that it could be something more on the extreme side, like a, a cancerous tumor. Absolutely. So 10 minutes, you're on your way, right? And, and I'm and in you're that all MRI. for it, right? You're, oh, I'm ready yeah. to
3: go. And mm-hmm. I just am kind of excited about having an MRI because right. I never had a scan like that before and I wanted to tell my friends at school about it.
0: You so, have to be very still, I understand.
3: Oh, yes, and that's very hard for me. So after the MRI, they said... Again, there's something there that's not supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. So I went back to school that same day, and then my dad checked me out for the second time that day, mm-hmm. and I had already I had already been checked out to have the MRI. Mm-hmm. So I go to my dad and I say, "Why are you checking me out? It's my favorite class of the day. I'm in film and video," mm-hmm. and he says, "The doctor forgot to tell us something," oh. and I'm persistent. Why mm-hmm. didn't he just tell us over the phone? And he says he wanted to tell us in person, just something he wanted to tell us in person. Mm-hmm. So I went to see Dr. Michael Neal, who mm. I didn't know at the time, but is an orthopedic oncologist in Memphis, mm. but my parents knew. Right. So I went to his office, and that was the very first time that I got to see my own x-ray. Mm-hmm. And it was a bright light, a very bright light over my knee, and it was a perfect circle. And it still never occurred to me that mm-hmm. it could be anything other than a cyst or a stress fracture. So Dr. Neal took me to his exam room, and we sat down there, my dad, my mom, and I. And he said immediately, Vivian, this is going to be hard for me to tell you, and this is going to be hard for you to hear, but we believe you have a textbook case of osteosarcoma. And I'm thinking, come again? What right, is that? I've right. never heard of that in my life, and right. it's two weeks before my 13th birthday. So well,
0: let me ask you this. When he did tell you that, Because I I heard you say in the video that I saw, I mean, it was almost like you had an immediate resolve. It it was almost like, and that may not have been the case. The video was, you know, it was sliced it up. So it got, you know, four minutes. But how did you feel when he told you that? And you realized that that could be a possibility. No child at 12 years old should ever have to hear this, but you are hearing it. And how did that make you feel?
3: Everyone always asks me, how do you feel? when you're diagnosed with cancer? And it's hard for me to answer that question with just one word because right. there there are so many different emotions going through my mind mm-hmm. in this moment that I don't even cry at first. Mm-hmm. I just scooted back on the exam table because I thought passing out and hitting the floor was inevitable. Right. So I don't cry until I look up and I see my parents and they are just beside themselves and my mom. Mm is shaking her, her head saying no over and over again. And that's when it hits me, I'm going to die. There was no doubt in my mind at that moment at 12 years old and I had just lost both my grandparents mm-hmm. within six months of each other the previous year to cancer. So to me, that was a death sentence.
0: Oh man, Vivian, that you didn't get that detailed in the video. I'm glad you didn't. I might not have been able to make it through work. So <laughs> you, when you say that to yourself again, no child should feel that way. But um, at what point did you feel there was a hope? There was hope in a solution.
3: When Dr. Neal said that I already have an appointment set up for you tomorrow at St. Jude, mm. and that's the best place for you.
0: Mm. And you walk through those doors because you were referred to St. Jude. And you spoke about the murals and it being just an uplifting. Which you are—you're—you have a very positive spirit. When you came in here, she just has a very bright spirit, and, and so it fits you perfectly, right? So how'd you feel when you walked in there? Because you ha- still have the cancer. I mean, you got a long road to hoe, and we'll talk right. about that in a minute. But
3: so I walk into the doors of St. Jude, and so many different things are going through my mind. I'm choking back tears every step I take, but I always. I always talk about how confused I was Mm. that this was a cancer research facility and there were children here who had catastrophic illnesses, Mm. who were struck with these deadly diseases and fighting for their lives, but they were laughing and joking and riding on tricycles Mm. and in red flyer wagons, Mm -hmm. and they were riding their IV poles like scooters. (laughs) They were murals on the wall, and it was just bright and such a happy
0: place, Mm -hmm. and I
3: wasn't I wasn't scared to be in this hospital.
0: I think that one of the biggest things about St. Jude is that they create, I mean, a big part of survival is that you have a positive spirit. And I think that's one of the things that they capitalized on through Danny's vision and continued is that this is hope. I mean, this is hope. And so you were there for treatment. And, and, and at some point it had to have hit you that I have cancer and I'm going to lose my hair and I'm going to have to take chemo and it's my birthday. Right.
3: And it's my birthday, and I'll cry if I want to. Right. (laughs) Now, I was supposed to have chemotherapy on October 17th, it was going to be my first round, but that was my birthday. Mm -hmm. So, St. Jude said, We don't want you to have to have chemotherapy on your birthday. Mm -hmm. So, they put it off one day and they threw me a birthday party, mm. and it was just a great experience. It was my my very first few days at this hospital with cancer, and I just had this group around me, mm. the support system around me, yeah. and I, I never, ever felt alone yeah. at St. Jude.
0: That, that is awesome, and, and so you had a really tough battle because you had surgeries, you had chemo, you lost your hair, you had, it wasn't an easy, hey, let's go and have this done, and then you're going to come out the other side. I mean, you almost lost your leg. I mean, right. it, it was at the very last moment that they were able to, and and unfortunately, we don't have a lot of time. But I I think it's amazing what Saint Jude does with the limb saving program that they have, and the rod that is growing with that grew with your leg through the magnetic treatments, and how they share that with all uh, of the world. But talk about your treatment and 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 how you you almost lost hope
3: so I had four rounds of chemotherapy and after that they went in for my limb spraying my limb spraying surgery mm-hmm. so what they did then was they removed my tibia which is the cancerous bone wow. and they replaced my tibia with a titanium rod and I did not have the rapithesis, which is the guard which is the prosthetic that grows with your leg but I had oh, the guardian okay. mm-hmm. Um, because my growth plates were closed, and I was uh, supposed to be done. Well, you are 13, yeah, right at that point. So they, literally 13, literally just, just the, 13 years yeah. old. So they replaced my tibia and my knee joint, and into my femur and into my ankle bone was a titanium rod. And coming out of the surgery, I went to the ICU for a long time, mm-hmm. and they had to check the necrosis of my tumor, which means the percentage of the tumor that is killed with the cancer. Mm. And anything above 90% is good. Mm -hmm. Mine was not even to 70%. Mm. So that was a horrible day finding that out. And so we had to add, well, I had the decision to make, do I want to add another chemotherapy and risk kidney damage, liver damage, and maybe not be able to have a child. Mm. And I'm deciding these things at 13 years old. Mm. I'm making these types of decisions. And I decided I wanted to have every type of chemotherapy that I could to save Mm -hmm. my life. Mm -hmm. So after that, I had an entire year of chemotherapy. Um, I was almost done before finding out I had staph infection. So from that, I had five more surgeries, and they were able to save my leg.
0: Oh, well, you do such a good job of of telling the story. And it's amazing because in the video, of course, it goes a little quicker than that. But um, at the end of the day, they did save your leg. And you did get the treatment you needed. And your parents, I'd love to meet them someday, but they have their baby girl back. And and she's alive and she's thriving. I, I mean, she's sitting across from me right now and she has so much life in her. You know, she's beautiful. She has this great spirit about her. And you know what? I, I don't know if St. Jude wasn't there. I, I don't know if this—if we would be talking right now. Maybe we would. Maybe we wouldn't. I don't know.
3: But, I don't want to know.
0: Yeah. So, um You decided after you graduated high school, um, Tri-Delta, is that the name of the organization? Yes, Tri-Delta. So so their charity is St. Jude. I mean, they're huge. They've raised, I think, over $25 million. $25 million. I think, Courtney, didn't you have some? Yeah. So, But talk about that in the last minute. We don't have much time, but talk about your relationship there. So
3: when I got to college, it's an entirely new experience, and I just felt so at home at Tri-Delta. So I pledged and our philanthropy is St. Jude. Mm-hmm. So now I've had the opportunity to work for St. Jude in a way that I never imagined possible. And I've I've gotten the opportunity to be appointed the position of assistant philanthropy chair for Tri Delta at UT Knoxville. And that has just provided me with so much hope that not only during my treatment, but after my treatment, I can share my story mm-hmm. and share my battle and just bring awareness to childhood cancer, because when you hear the word cancer, you, you don't really, I think that people are afraid of it and they don't want to hear a lot about it, mm-hmm. but I want people to know.
0: Well, you do an amazing job with how you communicate, and that's probably why you're a public relations major. <laughs> and I think one of the things that I heard you say in that video that spoke to me and will stay with me forever is that you don't want to know, or you don't know what it would be like, what you would be so passionate about. Had you not went through this and clearly God had a plan for you and you're living that plan right now.
3: Yes. It's my plan to yeah. support St. Jude forever. And yeah. I am so passionate about St. Jude and, and I'll never stop sharing my story. Nobody, yeah. nobody can make me stop, right. so I'm just going to keep on.
0: So there you go. Some incredible stories and we want to thank everybody for tuning in today and listening to those because I think you could learn a lot about who this helps. And those are two incredible families that just have a really incredible story. So go to, if you want to learn more or share this show, you can go to thehousinghour.com. And then the tournament website is migcharityclassic.com to learn more about how you can play, how you can um, participate. So thank you guys so much for coming in and listening to our show. Um, see, See you next week. Come back in. We've got some interesting stuff coming down the pike. We'll see you then right here on The Housing Hour.